Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. We begin this morning with continuing coverage of Kentucky's campaign 2019, that primary now less than three weeks away. Former state auditor Adam Edlin has run more ads in the Democratic race for governor than any other candidate. One of the main thrusts in his platform is that lobbyists far outnumber lawmakers in Frankfurt and he says they have too much influence over public policy. Edlin is also promising attention to renew energy sources, which he says could create jobs. Elon says the state needs more revenue, but he's not sure expanded gambling is the way to go, and he has ruled out taxing medical marijuana. We'll ask him about that. He's campaigning hard. He's proven he'll jab on the campaign trail, but Elon lost a 2015 statewide bid for re-election as auditor. Can he gain enough traction now to win the nomination for the state's highest office? Democratic candidate for Governor Adam Elon joining us. Thanks for coming. We it's good to be with you. Bill. Always good to be with Thank you. Thank you. Let's go back to uh, uh, really where you started this campaign. Your first message was about uh, the focus on lobbyists, mm -hmm. that you say there is too much outside influence going on over there. There's no doubt that the special interests have too much control in Frankfurt, and that manifests it some, in some ways that make it more difficult for Kentuckians to get a better deal. And certainly I looked Kentucky in the eye and said, you're getting a raw deal. And a big part of the reason you're getting a raw deal is because our government serves the special interest rather than the interest of regular folks. Let me give you a couple examples. This terrible bill that would gut solar for residential uh, communities in Kentucky um, was pushed by the special interest, the big utilities, and it will have a disastrous impact on Kentucky. It's akin to putting on a sign on our state that says we're not open for business for the modern economy. The fact that it took us so long to even get our school campuses and our public schools in Kentucky to go smoke free. The fact that we don't tax these uh, jewel cigarettes, these, uh, these, the, the vaping the same way that we do regular cigarettes, these are all examples of how our government is in the pocket of special interest. And we need a governor who will get them out of that grip of the special interest and get them back on the sides of folks so we can do things like create new economy jobs and, and generate new revenue and make sure that our people have a fighting chance in a changing economy. As you know, uh, some who serve in the legislature say that you know they listen to the lobbyists, they make up their own minds, and then they go ahead. Uh, what's wrong with that argument? Well, there's nothing wrong with it provided that, uh, that, uh, that legislators are also listening to the needs of regular people. And I think it's just really difficult to look at the current environment in our government and come to a conclusion that regular folks are being served as well as the special interest. You know, Bill, every, every parent of middle school kids in Kentucky is concerned about their kids vaping. I know this because I've got twin 13-year-old seventh grade boys. But the fact is we're not moving on this issue in Kentucky as we should be because the special interest don't want it to happen. Um, solar energy is in critically important to building the economy of the future in Kentucky. I know this because my partner in doing so is a coal company. We have to diversify. But Kentucky, uh, Kentucky's government has taken a path that would make it more difficult to, de to develop renewable energy because they're in the pockets of the special interest. We have to extract the people's government from the claws of the special interest, and I'll do that as governor. The national economy uh, continues to turn in strong reports. You know, we see uh, good indicators uh, most weeks. Uh, but here in Kentucky, we're in a situation of running a shortfall in this budget cycle. Uh, we have cut to public colleges and universities for a decade straight at this point, And we owe $40 billion uh, for pensions that we don't have. 
Uh, how does Kentucky extract itself from that uh, revenue situation? By electing a governor who knows how to build a modern Kentucky where all our people have a path to prosperity in a digital age. Bill, you're right about all of that. We're one of two states that hasn't returned higher education spending to pre-recession levels. Us in South Carolina, not the company we want to be in. Uh, in a digital age, connectivity will determine whether people have a shot at prosperity. But you and I both know we live in a state where the most reliable provider of Wi-Fi is McDonald's. And so we're not doing the things we need to do to make sure our people are relevant to the opportunities and challenges of the 21st century. States all around us are creating thousands of renewable energy jobs, but we're not pursuing that path and people aren't getting employed in industries of the future because we've got leaders who have their head in the sand. This is about electing a governor who knows knows what the new economy looks like and knows how to create a path for all our people to get there. What does the new economy look like in your view? I mean, are, are, is, is the governor correct to be uh, trying to refocus our efforts on, on workforce development into jobs that appear to be uh, where we're headed? Well, the problem we've got is that Governor Bevan is chasing an economy that doesn't exist anymore. There is no future in low-skill, low-wage jobs. We need to create the jobs of the future, and we've got to understand the challenges that, front, that can front us. Certainly high uh, tech manufacturing does have a future, but by its very definition it means fewer people are going to be em employed in manufacturing. So we've got to fight to get a bigger piece, but we have to acknowledge it's a diminishing pie. We've got to understand that you can't possibly create new economy jobs without access to the internet, which is why I'm so passionate about uh, a focus as governor being bringing high quality broadband to every Kentuckian, whether they live on the plowed ground or in the, in the mountains or in our inner cities and it's about understanding that you cannot create the jobs of the future without embracing renewable energy as part of your overall energy portfolio. Okay so this is sort of an, a long-term outlook on jobs and sure. the economy and where we're going but in the immediate in the in the needs that Kentucky has right now in facing the budget session next year when we know that uh, school safety uh, the, the sure. law that was passed will have to be funded and there are lots of other uh, things that are going to be uh, uh, screaming for for funding next year you've indicated you might be open to expanded gaming one of your opponents Andy Bashir attaches a projected number to that of uh, 550 million dollars if casinos are included thank you. and he says that uh, that could be plowed directly into the pension system and that frees up money for other things. So uh, certainly I'm open to casino gaming, but let's understand this isn't a new idea. Matter of fact, Bashirs have been running on the issue of expanded gaming for decades now. Um, and the legislature hasn't budged. And while I'm, I'm certainly a believer that we, uh, we need the revenue and certainly uh, I would embrace uh, expanded gaming, it's not enough. And putting all the hopes of pensioners on expanded gaming seems to me to be too much of a gamble. Um, what we've got to do is we've got to modernize our tax code bill. We, we collect $10 billion annually and excuse $12 billion through a system riddled with uh, special interest driven uh, loopholes. And so I just don't think that makes any sense. So when we haven't modernized our tax code to do things like uh, tax vaping at the same rate we tax cigarettes through the excise tax, when we're not, uh, when we're not making the case to the people of Kentucky uh, with a governor who says, do you value uh, affordable tuition. Do you value a pension fund that's fully funded or do you do you place more importance on a on a loophole in our tax code that benefits uh, the special interest? You also said this week that you would not support taxing medical marijuana. Uh, your opponents in the Democratic primary, the, the two other front runners uh, seem to indicate that might be a source of revenue. Well listen, I, I don't know 
know that there's a bigger difference in terms of values than this, because I believe that medical marijuana by its very definition is medicine. And we have never taxed medicine in Kentucky, and we shouldn't start now. Um, I'm not going to look at a, at a woman who is going through the trauma of dealing with breast cancer and chemotherapy and say, hey, we're going to tax your medicine uh, to help the Treasury. That's just not where I am. I don't think it's the moral place to be. And frankly, I don't think the revenue generated by taxing, uh, taxing medical marijuana uh, would be sufficient to cover the damage that it would do in making it unavailable to the people who critically need you it. You have called for decriminalizing a marijuana period. That means uh, even people who have it to, for recreational purposes. Do you think that that is an important part of uh, criminal justice reform? I think it's incredibly important to criminal justice reform. But beyond that, Bill, when a state is as broke as ours, we can't do things that are dumb and expensive. And spending $50 million a year to prosecute 11,000 people, the vast majority of them in possession of amounts of marijuana less than half an ounce, doesn't make any sense. Um, it is ineffective, it is expensive to the taxpayers, and in its application, it's often racist. So making sure that we fix this system, we commit to criminal justice reform, will free up a lot of dollars. And I think uh, a big case, a big part of making the case to the people of Kentucky that we need additional investment is running our government in a way where it is smarter and more effectively operated in terms of the stewardship of taxpayer dollars, which is uh, something I know about. A lot of uh, second chance advocates will say uh, that they can get uh, some people, uh, former addicts or uh, those who have uh, done their time, uh, trained and ready for the job force, but that oftentimes employers are, are reticent. Would you support a liability shield for businesses who hire uh, drug addicts or... Uh, I, I would, because we've got, we're fighting this addiction crisis in Kentucky, and a lot of people have become addicted, and we have to understand that the best way to deal with that is to acknowledge that it's not just a law enforcement issue, that it is a public health issue. And I think we want to get addicts back up on their feet. We want them to rebuild their lives, and we want them to become uh, self-sustaining members of society. And to be able to do that means we have to give them a second chance. And those companies that are willing to give them a second chance ought to be not only rewarded, but they ought to be applauded. Because I think in any Christian society, we believe that in redemption. And to, uh, to, to throw a lot of people out of the system because of addiction issues or mistakes that they made typically in their youth uh, seems to me to be antithetical to what it means to be an American. Adam Edelin, Democratic candidate for governor, is our guest on Kentucky Newsmakers, and we're coming back in a moment. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We're visiting with Democratic candidate for Governor Adam Edelin. There's been a lot of emphasis on the school choice under the Bevan administration. The argument has been that if a school is failing, uh, that parents should be allowed to take their students to uh, a school where they can, uh, when they can do better. Uh, do you fear that that hurts the public school system uh, if uh, included in those options are private uh, schools? It definitely hurts the public schools, which are already underfunded. And any action that would further underfund our public education will undermine it. And the reason I've been endorsed by uh, teacher organizations, particularly the Jefferson County Teachers Association, is because I have an agenda to take back the mantle of education reform from people like Matt Bevan who fundamentally don't believe in public education. You know, Bill, it's not enough uh, to just protect the pensions. We need a governor who knows that uh, protecting the pension promise isn't the best we can do. It's the least we can do. And that's why I have an agenda to get technology in the classroom, because kids process information differently 
differently than did we when we were in the classroom. If you don't believe me, give an iPhone to a three-year-old. We've got to figure out how to, how to reduce class size. We've got to figure out how to uh, make the 11th and 12th grade years of high school a better passage into whatever it is that comes next. And that whatever it is that comes next ought to be affordable to the middle and working classes. I have a real forward-looking education agenda, which is why I enjoy the endorsement of, of uh, and support of so many teachers across the state, in particular the Jefferson County Teachers Association. How would a race play out between you and Matt Bevan if, they, if that's what happened? Well, it would be uh, it would be a barn burner because uh, Matt Bevan believes what he believes, and I believe what I believe, and I think it would be a clear contest between uh, those who think Kentucky's future lies in its past and those who, like me, who believe that we can chart a more prosperous future. And I also think that our personalities are uh, are probably conducive to a real barn burner. And um, he's an aggressive guy. I'm no wilting lily. And I think we would uh, we would have it out on a very public stage in Kentucky. And I think the folks in this state would uh, would benefit immensely from a real campaign uh, in which one candidate is trying to build the economy of the past and the other is trying to build the economy of the future. We have seen uh, uh, members of your family featured in uh, lots of these ads. And you've run a lot of ads. We mentioned that uh, at the beginning. You said your father's becoming known uh, for those spots. Yeah. Uh, but you have raised the most money of any uh, of the candidates. Uh, but when you dig into the details of your report, more than half that is a loan from your running mate. Uh, how's that loan to be repaid? Well, it, it, if it's to be repaid, it would be repaid in the campaign. We certainly wouldn't do that uh, upon election. Uh, but what this is—you'll commit to that. Yes, but what this is about is Gill. Uh, Gill and I have a shared vision for a more prosperous Kentucky, and Gill and his family uh, have been the keystone of philanthropy in major parts of the state for a very long time. And he believes that we have the best message and the best vision for building a modern, prosperous Kentucky. And he is—he's uh, invested to support that vision, and I'm off fortunate to have them. I'm excited about what we can both accomplish together. The census reports show that our, our large and mid-sized cities right now are growing, uh, while a lot of the rural areas continue to lose population, particularly in eastern Kentucky and far western Kentucky. Right. Uh, a real drain. Is that a cycle that, uh, that we have to get used to in Kentucky, or uh, can the rural areas uh, do better with opportunity? We can see a renaissance in the forgotten places, provided we have a leadership team in Frankfurt who believes that rural Kentucky's best days aren't behind them, that they're actually in front of them. We need to embrace uh, when we can create a pathway back for these communities, provided they have access to the digital infrastructure of the 21st century, the internet. We can create thousands of jobs in the forgotten places of this state by embracing renewable energy, exactly the same way they've done in states around us. Uh, the, the industrial parks of the future that will actually work are revitalized downtowns. And so my running mate, Gil Holland, who is a community builder who has created opportunity in forgotten places like New Lou and Portland in Jefferson County, is going to focus like a laser beam as Lieutenant Governor on helping uh, smaller communities revitalize their main streets and be relevant to the the opportunities of the 21st century. I think that will be an enduring legacy of my administration, and I can't wait for him to get to work on it. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, Andy Bashir. Uh, comes from a, a household name. His mm -hmm. father was a two-term governor. Uh, by the way, you were uh, chief of staff sure before was. that governor. Uh, has that 
created a, uh, an unseen tension in this campaign? You know, I, uh, it's not for me uh, because I've never believed in any sense of entitlement. Um, and everybody in the world knows who Andy Bashir's dad is. and He's a good man. But I also want people to know who my dad is. He is a farmer in Meade County, Kentucky, who taught me at the end of the day that hard work never killed anybody. And so I'm not the candidate or a candidate who is running out of any sense of entitlement. I'm a candidate running for governor uh, based on work ethic in a sense that if you want to lead Kentucky, you've got to represent all of them and you've got to earn it, which is why we're doing 2,500 miles a week. It's why we've done over 100 public events and live streamed them all on the internet. It's why we are engaging Kentucky in a way that is different, unscripted, and authentic to my experience. And I think that's why we've surged so much in this campaign. Rocky Adkins, uh, you know, makes uh, the uh, observation that uh, he would do very well in rural areas, particularly in a, in a fall campaign, and that uh, he, you know, maybe the Democrats in Lexington and Louisville would, would come along uh, with him, and therefore he makes the case he would be the strongest candidate in the fall. Uh, why do you say you're the strongest of the three? Because I have one message that applies everywhere. The reason the Democratic Party, nationally and in Kentucky, has gotten in so much trouble is that we have gone to a constituency-based approach of communicating. Uh, my message of building a modern economy and bringing prosperity to everywhere in Kentucky is uniform. And it's something that I talk about whether I'm in Paducah or Whitesburg or in downtown Louisville or Lexington. And I'm a product of rural Kentucky. But I understand that for rural Kentucky to be what it ought to be, and that must if Kentucky is going to be what it ought to be, that we've got to make investments in those folks. And I understand that because I come from those communities. But for these candidates who say, well, I've got one set of priorities for this community and another set for our more urban areas, that never works. What works is a unified, consistent message that is based on building a path into the future that is broad enough for everybody to cross, both urban and rural alike. What kind of a turnaround would it be? if you were able to turn around to having been defeated for a second term as state auditor and, and winning the governor's race. Well, listen, this is a, it would be a remarkable turnaround, but this is a state where uh, lots of people have stumbled and fallen and have been counted out and knocked down. And I'm the candidate of those people. You know, I was swept out of office in a Republican surge four years ago. Uh, what I learned from that is that you have to have a candidate at the top of the ticket uh, who runs on what he is about rather than what he opposes. And my two opponents are fine guys, but they are defining themselves by their opposition to Matt Bevan. My campaign is defined by what I'm going to do after I beat Matt Bevan, which is bring the internet to every Kentuckian, create thousands of renewable energy jobs, uh, and introduce policies that get wages up and protect health care. That is a message that works in 120 counties, and I'm making that case in 120 counties. It's ultimately why I'll be the best candidate in the fall, because I have a record of new economy job creation, and I also have an unparalleled record of fighting corruption. Adam Edlin, thanks for coming. We appreciate it very much. Thanks, we'll Bill. also make note, uh, Jeff Young is a fourth candidate in the uh, Democratic primary, coming up on May 21st. Stay with us now on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We all spend a lot of our lives in the workplace and times are changing. Brian Simmons is a human resources expert and trainer who gives presentations around the country. Recently, he's focused on behavior at conferences or work-related events that may not technically be on the clock. 
And a new pregnancy anti-discrimination measure passed here in Kentucky. We get Brian to come in and share some things from time to time and insights, and we appreciate you very much for coming in. Good uh, to see you. Good Thanks to see you here. again, Bill. Thank you for having me back. Let's get right to it. Some yes. hot topics out there. Derby weekend, you know, there have been those corporate events, the parties involving workers and their supervisors and so forth. Yes. Uh, events coming up this summer. Uh, what should employees and employers keep in mind at these uh, off-the-clock events? At these off-the-clock events, we still have to play by the rules. There are still boundaries in the workplace. You know, th those same laws still apply. And in those, and at those activities, a lot of times the behaviors come uh, a lot more casual. But you still have to recognize that although it's off-site from the workplace, those workplace policies are still in place, and you have to be real careful, especially when alcohol-related events are involved. Tongues get loose, uh, things are said. Tongues get loose, things are said, inhibitions lowered, and uh, sometimes people want to tell you how they really feel about their supervisors. Which might be ill-advised. It might be ill-advised. <laughs> Personal conduct's a major area that uh, you address in presentations around the country. Uh, yeah. What are areas uh, right now that you highlight uh, in that regard? In that regard, we really focus on the behaviors, Bill. That's the, the thing that we're seeing. A lot of times, uh, people can say, well, this person just isn't performing well, or I feel like this person is harassing me. And what we have to drill down to becomes what is the behavior that constitutes the inappropriate conduct, or even the positive conduct when we, rec when we recognize it. So when we start to look at the behaviors of our leaders and our supervisors and the people in the workplace, that's what, what we really start to look at during investigations on things like harassment, things like discrimination, uh, that's taking place. And we're seeing that uh, both are on the rise right now, unfortunately. They, they are unfortunately on the rise. Interestingly, in Kentucky, the amount of claims that have been reported have been decreased, but the amount of workplace violence incidents have increased uh, significantly. And the amount of retaliation claims have increased. So what that's saying is people have stopped reporting as much as they're retaliating on their own. Uh, against ones in the company and against the company as well. I mean, things can get crazy. There, there was one situation we were talking about earlier this week over somebody uh, uh, talking about one of these cable shows and they gave a spoiler and they gave the spoiler. As the people are, they don't want the spoiler to the movies, the Avengers, Endgame, <laughs> and things like that, and the Game of Thrones, as you know. And there was a fight broke out at work uh, because somebody gave the spoiler to it. Workplace violence, just like that. So again, we're trying to manage imperfect humans on a daily basis we being imperfect ourselves what could go wrong just about everything <laughs> kentucky law has been updated when it comes to pregnancy discrimination and uh, and you said that that uh, uh, provides some protections for employees and some guidance for employers yes right. this is big anytime you have a law change uh, like it was done and it pertains to something like a pregnancy discrimination act whereas that was already in place federally but then Kentucky said hey there's some gaps in here that we need to cover and what it does it really provides and broadens the reasonable accommodations that employers have to make for those that are pregnant uh, for instance if someone is working in a hotel uh, let's say the front desk and they're standing and they're required to stand uh, yet in the past if the person said uh, they were pregnant and needed to be taken off of work because they couldn't stand and the employer could say well you got to take leave uh, here now they have to make a reasonable accommodation provide a chair or something like that and guidance has been given on what some of these reasonable accommodations will be like 
uh, more breaks, more frequent breaks, uh, things like flexible schedules, uh, making sure they have a lactation room available with no time limit on these type of things. So really the employer now has to make reasonable accommodations like they would for any other disability. And the employer now can to some extent uh, collaborate with the healthcare profession. That's right? the, the good thing for the employer. There's good faith in the interactive process that's required in this, meaning the employer can now work with the employee and the healthcare provider to make sure that the proper accommodations are being provided. Brian, Kentucky is trying so hard to give a second chance to uh, reformed addicts or to those convicted on nonviolent charges. Uh, uh, even they get training and skills, some employers still have fear of liability when they hire them. We're seeing a, a, a movement towards some sort of liability shield. Definitely. And see, we're in a very fearful state on that. And while we need the employers, and we do need to give people a second chance, I mean, people shouldn't be marked uh, by the things that maybe they've done in their past because they're still viable candidates for work. Yet there are some uh, fears there because people have in the past been uh, had lawsuits that have, have been won on negligent hiring, negligent retention of ones where they didn't do the due diligence on things and hired individuals that maybe went on further to commit an act of workplace violence or, or something against a customer. You see that as continuing to be an area that will evolve. Oh, that will definitely evolve because we do need uh, more people engaged into the workforce and we do need to, to help people have a second chance. You want employers to know about the I-9 employment eligibility verification process uh, uh, which uh, you say really they should be proactive about. They should definitely be proactive on that. That is one of the biggest compliance uh, issues that's out there. The I-9 form which is the employment eligibility and verification form that's required that all employers uh, during the application process and the onboarding process uh, once they're hired the person fills this out saying that they're eligible to work in the United States. Well, Immigration Customs and Enforcement, they are the ones that enforce the law surrounding the proper completion and compliance on these forms. And each form carries a penalty, and if it's not filled out correctly, then during an audit, uh, companies will be penalized. So uh, people don't read the form is the problem, uh, and they are penalized excessively for uh, not being compliant in this area. So self-audit. Self-audit <laughs> is a big thing. Uh, quickly here as, as we wrap up, uh, with different uh, generations of the workplace, political tensions uh, at every turn, people trying to have a reasonable work-life balance, what are the best workplaces doing right now? Oh, the be best workplaces are investing in the development of their people. I always say they should look at the salary base and go 3% of that needs to be invested towards the development and growth of their people. Uh, they're also providing things like uh, stress management uh, programs and issues. They are having discussions, open discussions about inclusion within the workplace and really creating engaged relationships regardless of the differences. And that's the thing about when people are looking at disabilities and things like that, it's just different abilities that we do have. Uh, it's nothing negative about that. So embracing the relationship and looking towards a positive outlook in the workplace, that's what the good companies are doing. Brian Simmons, always appreciate it when you come by. Always hey, learn. Uh, thanks for having me. That's <laughs> what's you. happening in the workplace. Right, sir. And thank you for being with us here on Kentucky Newsmakers. Have a good week ahead. Yeah.